0: For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. And we get to unpack that a little bit more today. We're in the third week, First Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you're new here, an amazing chapter that we often refer to, you hear it in weddings and everything else, and we we get to look at that text today. I'm Joel, and it's good to be one of the pastors here, and good to have you here with us today as we dive in to this passage and looking at what we really need to be doing. And it begins with this very simple understanding. Love never ends. Love never fails. Paul is writing from Ephesus to the people of Corinth. And he's telling them, and these, this is a group of people, very wealthy, um, the smartest people out there. This was a gathering place. I would compare it to a New York or something like that today where it's this melting pot of everybody coming in, the very best of the best in terms of abilities and talents and gifts. And Paul is stepping in and saying, guys, you're missing the mark because you're not loving the people around you with Christ-like love. It doesn't matter how smart you are, and you're gonna hear it in the message today. Hey, the, your, your intelligence is gonna go away, right? Your gifts will fail and fade and go away. But the love of Christ, well, it says it right here, love never ends. The love of Christ never fails. And so we get to look at that and how that impacts us today. The, the reason though, that can I tell you why we str- struggle so much with Christ-like love? not like the love that we've made it in the world today. I'm saying true Christ-like love, which means you're, you're eager to outdo one another, Romans 12 and showing honor, that you're eager to forgive. Like it's a competition. I get to forgive you first. Anybody ever hear that in marriage? Like I'm, I already forgave you. It was so fun. Anybody? Wouldn't that be cool? That was the best. It because we, from the very earlier age, what do we like to do? We like to, even as a joke, we like to retaliate. Like I am a kid, anybody here like to play practical jokes? Raise your hand. Like it is, that is a gifting of mine. Um, It may fail and fade away one day, but it has not yet. Um, I'll give you a couple of quick examples. I had a buddy of mine in college. He thought he was being awesome. And so he took Saran Wrap and wrapped my car with it so I couldn't get in it. Has anybody had this happen before? Was that just like a Southern thing? Uh, Um, so I, listen, I didn't mind. It took me a whopping five minutes to get a knife and to cut the saran wrap and get my car, big deal. So I was very gracious. So I simply, when he didn't know I was gonna do it, I jacked up his truck, put it on center blocks and took all the tires off and hid them all over the campus. It's not a big deal. It was tit for tat, like it's all good. Whatever you do to me, I will, like that's a gifting of mine. He thought he was going to get me back, so he did something I I don't even really remember. It wasn't very big, but just to prove a point, um, I took his car keys, made a copy of his apartment key. I'm that guy, right? When he wasn't, I knew he wasn't there. I went, I had went to the store. I bought a giant blue tarp and I put it in his bathtub, put dirt in there with a tree sticking out of it and put goldfish all in it. Aquarium. I'm that guy. Don't mess with me. I'm the guy who another guy messed with me. So when he drove up to his apartment, he lived on the second floor. I had friends help me. We took their entire living room suit, set it up with lamps and everything, electrical cords, and set it up in the front yard. Um, It's because we like to, you're thinking that's silly. Well, actually, hear me out. I think that type of mentality has infiltrated and penetrated all of our life. Meaning when someone does something to us, we want to get back, get them back. Now those are silly examples, right? But when someone does us wrong, when somebody gives us the cold what? We then sometimes can give them the cold shoulder and we retaliate. That's what it's Yes, I know one is for fun, but one is serious because all of a sudden somebody gives you the cold shoulder and then you go to a friend of yours and you're like, can you believe they gave me the cold shoulder? And so now both of you are giving them the cold shoulder. And we, it's a natural posture that we can sometimes have. And so to understand the love of Christ, it's ego. When somebody gives you the cold shoulder, instead of, uh, of going to someone and saying, I can't believe it, you know why they gave me the cold shoulder? What's going on with them? They gave me the cold shoulder. I don't know why they did that. You're just gonna go, you know what? I'm gonna get on my knees. I'm gonna pray that, just, that, that everything's okay for them. I'm gonna pray that God would allow them to hear from him and encounter him. But as the way our society goes and the way that sometimes I'm even built because I'm a a jokester, right? I'm a trickster. And so all of a sudden we're, you know what? They mess with my car. I'm gonna do something even more. But it does start to penetrate in other parts of life. That's when it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes a struggle because someone has done us wrong and we wanna get them even. We wanna get even with them. And typically even means I'm gonna get them back more so. It's not actually even. So we struggle with the love of Jesus Christ. We struggle with the love of Jesus Christ. We struggle to go, man, I can't wait to forgive you first. And yet we know love never ends. It tells us what this is communicating is, guys, here you are, you're living your gifts. You've got all these talents and it's going to get into spiritual gifts. I'm going to talk about all of that in a little bit, but he's going he's to address all this. And he's going to say, listen, all of that goes away, but love never fails. Love never ends. And chapter 13 is a compilation of much of what he's already said. In chapter seven, he says, listen, guys, you're rude. Love's not rude. So he's already stated that in chapter seven. And 1 Corinthians chapter eight, he speaks of them several times. He speaks of them and their knowledge and how they're puffed up. He says, love's not prideful. It's not arrogant. And you're arrogant and proud. You're like, look at how smart I am. He's telling him, man, that's not love. Come on. Chapter 10, he's addressed the fact that, guys, you're self-seeking. So he's already addressed. We talked about last week. Love's not self-seeking. It's looking out for the interest of others. That goes to Philippians chapter two and other passages as well. It goes to Psalms over and over and over again. Love's not self-seeking, but you're seeking gain for self. Even when you're nice to someone, you're nice to them in order to gain for yourself. You think you can gain something from them so you're going to be kind to them. So here this is in chapter 13, and in many ways, a compilation of things that Paul is already communicating to these people as he's in Ephesus and he's writing this, and he's telling them prophecies are gonna fail, tongues are going to cease, you're making a big deal about who has the greatest talent and who can do what, right? Even in the spiritual gifts, but knowledge is going to pass away, it's going to banish is what it says, but love, it doesn't fail. And maybe that's the best message you can hear today. The love of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus has not and will not fail. It endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. The redeeming love of Jesus is eternal Romans chapter eight says nothing, Romans eight says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, if you are new here, can I encourage you? You don't have to go and watch the entire first Corinthians series, but the last two weeks I would tell you because I've used literally, I counted probably about 25 texts to help you understand the significance of this passage because it's so interwoven with everything else. Love never fails. And so he's addressing this. I I would say there was just this overemphasis on certain things that the Corinthians had on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it, it, it doesn't mean, now hear me also say, it doesn't mean those things don't matter. They matter and they are good. But the love of Christ matters more. The love of Christ matters more. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when you look at this passage, Love never ends. Verse eight and following. As for prophecies, they're gonna pass away. That means be no more. Similar translation. Tongues, they will stop, cease, no more. Knowledge, some of you think you're the smartest guy around, ain't gonna keep being that way. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. This is eight through 10. What I I wanna be able to speak about, and I'm gonna try to do this in about 10 minutes because he's saying, guys, gifts and talents and all these things, they matter, but love matters more. And so he's trying to pull them away from that to teach them about the love of Christ. But I I need to actually dive into gifts and talents because it's created so much confusion in the church today. That is a huge divide. And as I speak about it, one of the things you need to know, there are certain things that I would say the way I would summarize it is there are certain things that you will die for. There are certain things you should defend and there are certain things you should discuss when it comes to spiritual issues, die, defend, discuss. I automatically, when I'm listening to certain things, I ask myself, is this a die for defend or discuss? This is a defend because it matters, but it's not a die for. It's not, it's not a die for, um, the, the big word is cessationism. Um, people wanna ask, and, and one of the big topics that people, when it comes to this passage, there's a lot of other passages that come to play as well. You'll hear some of those today, but people wanna know um, who and who is not a sensationalist. Now, some of you are going, how do you even spell that? Like that's not a word that we use on the everyday, right? Um, here's a very simple definition. You can find this anywhere. And we're gonna try to simplify this as best as possible. Because honestly, every time I hear a, uh, a sermon preach on this, I walk away sometimes confused. And I'm like, I, th- I thought I knew this um, because they just keep going and going and going. Cessationism believes, here's where we start. Cessationism believes the gifts of healing and prophecy, everything that this is speaking about cease with the apostolic age. And so that's why people ask, are you a cessationist or are you not a cessationist? So you have these signs and these powers and all these different wonders. Now, right away, one of the reasons we make it so confusing and so hard is because I think we misuse a word that we assume to be biblical. That would be the word miracle. There's a, a broad way to look at miracles and there's a narrow facet. And we've taken miracle and we've made it very broad in nature. Meaning, uh, my wife has had four children. Notice how I have learned, young people I have learned. I did not say I have had four children. My wife has had four children and knowing that, um, we would say, wow, childbirth is a miracle. Is childbirth not a miraculous thing? Is it not amazing, but it's not a miracle in terms of what this is speaking about in terms of miracles. So let me tell you now, childbirth is miraculous. Like it is from God, but God orchestrated that man and woman come together. We know, uh, hopefully the anatomy well enough to know this is how it happens. And then all of a sudden you have this child because of how God has done creation and what He has done in creation. He is the creator. And so we know that. But in a biblical sense, that's no longer a miracle because He's already ordained that. Now, I'm not talking about the virgin birth Mary. <laughs> All right. That's a different thing. But sometimes we can use the word miracle in such a sporadic manner that it creates a confusion. We, may, we need to make sure that we're not doing that anymore. So what people would ask is really when they're talking about cessationism and all the gifts and again, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 really beg the question is people ask then, hey, do we think that the miracles mentioned here have ceased today, right? Do we think that they have ceased today? I certainly have the tendency to say yes, primarily because they were given, here's what Jesus did. Jesus said, listen, he used miracles as a way to reach the people. He knew that they were just coming for a miracle and so they would leave. I just came back from a nation where there's a huge movement toward Jesus Christ, but there's a huge movement and also a move away from, because they say they've seen God do a miracle when God has done a miracle. And yes, I believe God is a miracle today. He does miracles today. He can heal today. He can do mighty, mighty things today. The other struggle that we can have is that I believe God does those miracles. God does those miracles. And a lot of times it's the hand of God Uh, in which miracles exist today, the hand of God in which mighty works exist today, not the hand of man. But these people are following Jesus Christ because they've seen a miracle, they say, but when they don't see another miracle, then they leave and go, well, I guess not. Same thing in the New Testament. We already discussed this. Thousands of people came to him, thousands upon Thousands. Will you heal me? Will you do this? Right? You look at the thousands of people, you look at just the feeding of the 5,000. A lot of people would tell you that's just men. Uh, Some of the estimates would say that was well over 10,000, if not even 12 to 14,000 people. And yet at his death and resurrection, how many believers? I say it all the time, 120, because they needed to see another miracle, right? I need another miracle, and do something else for me. And so what God did is he started to do these things in order for them to listen, for them to recognize the authority that he had. And then he even gave it to the apostles. He appointed some apostles and he gave them the ability to do that very thing, to do those miraculous signs, to do those wonders on his behalf. Part of what that was doing was giving them the authority to speak on behalf of God, to to authenticate the fact that they were agents of revelation for God. And so are the signs and the wonders linked to the ministry of the apostles? Yes. Do I believe it's the same today? No, not in the same manner at all. Otherwise, if somebody can do those miracles and act on the same behalf that the apostles did, I say, we might wanna reevaluate whether or not, do we need to start adding to this thing? Does God heal today? Yes. Does God do miracles today? Yes. But it is by the hand of God, not by the hand of man. And so my struggle biblically is when we have transferred what God is doing to what an individual person is doing. Another way to think about it is Jesus very much knew what was going on. He very much knew what was coming. That's why he was willing to endure the cross. He knew why he was here so he was setting a foundation for what was to be, um, many people will say, and hopefully you've heard this before. If you've ever studied this before, what you'll hear is many people, and I I would agree with this. uh, He was setting a foundation. Well, when you're building a house, building the church, you only have one foundation. I've recently built a house. You only build one foundation. I don't need multiple foundations. You want to build one foundation. He's already set that foundation. And so now he's building off of that very thing. These were tools used to establish the foundation of the church, amazing things. And now that foundation is established and other people are being used to finish the will of God, building the church with other things. So somebody's, you know, I I get asked, so are there apostles today? In the biblical sense, no. Apostles were people who literally had seen the risen Christ. Revelation was a capstone to all of this. And while at the same time, there are false teachers and preachers and apostles today, just as then. I'll give you some examples. This will be fun for you. I'll give you three examples. Balaam. Do you know in three different places, the New Testament talks about Balaam, B-A-L-A-A-M, okay? Book of Numbers. Three different places in the New Testament, it says that he was wicked or evil, like, that's like, sometimes we, someone can do us really wrong, but because we're so nice today, we're like, that, they're kind of, they just, they just weren't very pleasant. He's saying wicked or evil. Those are big words, three different times. And yet we find out in Numbers chapter 20, even though he was a wicked and evil man, God gave him spiritual insight and made him a prophet. But he was an evil man. How about the first king of Israel? Who's the first king of Israel? Saul. Everybody say Saul. Saul. So here is Saul, and in the Old Testament was used by God, but he never gave his heart to the Lord. But he was used by God. How about the guy who betrayed Jesus? What was his name? Jesus. Judas. Go read Matthew chapter 10. So here's Judas being used by God, right? Right? but betraying Jesus, serving his own purpose. You can be used by God, friends, without knowing God. That's hard. That's called a mystery. Wait, God can use people who don't even know him? Yeah, he did it in the Bible. Here's the other struggle that we can have though is experiences are not our authority. The Bible is our authority. Often what we do is we allow experiences or even relationships to dictate our theological understanding. Theology is simply your understanding of who God is. That's what theology, I just wanna remind because everybody here, we have literally people here today who I've had somebody say, first time here. Never been, been to church in at least 15, 20 years. Don't really know, I'm scared to death. That was one of my quick conversations. I'm like, good to have you. Go get a free cup of coffee right? And they're like, how do I know? Oh, they're going to let me have it free. I said, trust me, just say Joel said. They're like, who are you? I'm like, oh, great. Here it goes. And then some of you have been in church for literally longer than I've been alive. And so you have everybody here, but every single person who steps into this place, we can all have a tendency to allow our experiences and our relationships shape our doctrine and our theology. The Bible shapes our doctrine and theology. And this is hard. It's why we choose to treat people a certain way. or are like, well, I got to know them. They're just so nice. What they're doing can't be that bad. Hold up that you just allowed a relationship or an experience to shape theology. Can't do it. You're already on that, the slippery slope, right? So the word of God, that's why even knowing Do you really believe that the word of God has complete authority in your life? If the answer is no, you're living on a slippery slope, theologically speaking, spiritually speaking and your relationship with God. So yes, another way to even think about all this is you you can have spiritual and miraculous gifts and not be a Christian. What? It's called mystery of God. Another issue that we struggle with this is the fact that we don't like mysteries. We don't like mysteries. I remember I grew up on these books called, anybody grew up on the Hardy Boys? Um, a lot of, I don't know if we would like those books today. They don't have pictures, I don't think. Um, I love a good mystery, right? We don't like mysteries though, when it comes to living life. We want everything to have an answer, right? We want everything to have full explanation. You're not going to have full explanation when it comes to understanding the mysteries of God. Why, because is he fully divine? Yes, are you? No, is he all supreme? Yes, are you? No, is he omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent? Yes, are you? No, how about, let's just go, I mean, we could just dive into the Trinity, what Trinity is what? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's I tell you certain things all the time so you recognize, oh, wow, right? Jesus is in flesh 2,000 years ago, but has Jesus always been? Yes. Yeah, that's the Trinity. It's the mystery. And it's like, what? And you're not gonna always fully understand it, nor should you, because do you know the pride, the, the arrogance which puffs up? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, numerous times, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, also in the book of Romans. Like knowledge, but we know this, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge is this incredibly sinful work in your life. And so now you're going, well, I have to understand everything God did and why he did it that way. Oh, wow. Wow. It's going to be a rough one for you guys. But we don't like saying, you know what, I have complete faith in the word of God. Am I ever going to fully understand all of it? I'm not but I know in the power, of the resurrection and what that means for me, the love of Christ. That's why he tells them, I said it two weeks ago, Matthew chapter, another passage, but I said it two weeks ago, Matthew chapter seven, 21 through 23, R- really important. Because remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is where he's beginning his messianic ministry. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That should automatically perk your ears up. Wait, if I say, Lord, Lord, I may not enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember, he can use people who aren't Christians. He uses people like Balaam, like King Saul, and like Judas. And so he's like, on that day, some of you are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Is he talking about prophecy in um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14? He is. He's like, listen, some of you are going to be like, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works? It's the same word here for miracles, really do not we do miracles in your name? Mighty works. And then he said, he's going to declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. You workers of lawlessness, you've been doing what you're doing for the wrong reason. It is to reveal the power of the love of Jesus Christ for all of humanity in which you are to be doing what you're doing, not to promote yourself, not to get what you want, not to feel better about yourself, but for something that is temporary and not eternal. And he's going to look at them and say, spiritually, you're nothing. some of us just wanna live in a manner where there's no more mystery. Jonathan Edwards, I mean, I've looked at dozens of people and learned from so many in this. And I read people, I'm the guy who I think is incredibly important to read people you already agree with, and then really important to read people that you don't already agree with. And then go to scripture and just pound the pages until you go, this is what I really know the word to God of God to say. But Jonathan Edwards said, a gift ability, this is why this is a hard thing, a gift ability does not require a change of heart as holiness or love does. And yet we go to Romans chapter 12. We know that we are renewed by the transforming of our mind. And yet that means our heart, our holiness, that we pursue, our love has to change on a continual basis. So here, some of you are going, okay, what's all this really mean? I try to say it as clearly as I could, but here's what you have. Paul speaking to people was like, you guys, man, you wanna be the best at whatever you're doing. You think you're the bomb. You've got all these gifts, all these talents, talents. You have all these resources. You have the nicest chariots out of anybody else. Look at you, isn't it great? But you're missing the mark because you're not loving with the love of Christ. And you can't get over the fact that your confidence is in the Lord, not in what you can accomplish. And everything that you think you can accomplish is going to fade, it's going to fail, it's going to rot, it's going to rust, it's going to, it's going to go away. It's gonna vanish is the biblical word there. But the love of Christ never ends. And so it begs us to ask the question, what temporary things have we given too much value? That's what they had done. They had given too much value. Again, it doesn't mean that those things aren't good, but they had given certain things too much value, too great of significance in their life. Do temporary gifts and time and resources point to an eternal God. Even in your gifts and talents, that's why you should be utilizing those to point to an eternal God. Because you know that in those things alone, they're going to vanish, they're going to go away, they're going to fade, they're going to be destroyed. So last week I had to go see some pastors. up in New York. And uh, many of you know, I I lived in that area for a long time and just the buildings are different. Like you're walking around grand, you've been to grand central before. It's just pure rock stone, right? I mean, those things aren't moving. And I just started thinking about, you know, the construction we have today, two by fours, nothing wrong with the two by four. We just don't build it with the same type of stability. We don't, we don't build it the same way. There's a lot of reasons for that. Right. But I just go, man, Don't we understand that the love of Christ allows us to recognize that the the foundation is never going to move? It's never going to budge, that the power of Christ is going to allow us to stand more firmly than ever before. It's not how gifted we are. It's not how talented we are. It's not what we think about prophets and everything else. It's the love of Christ. Those things are good, but if they don't point to an eternal God, they're useless. And so he's declaring this for the people. I think they struggle. The people then were struggling to embrace the love of Christ themselves. They kept trying to find, I have to compare it to a New York. I have to compare Corinth to even maybe somewhat of a Grand Rapids, right? Any kind of metropolis where we keep finding our fulfillment based on what we can accomplish. Are you a child of God? Yes or no? Yes. Is your confidence in, is it to be in God? Yes or no? Do you have hope that is an anchor for the soul? And yet then if a circumstance based on your gifts and talents don't go the way you want, you just feel defeated and deflated and Satan just takes over your mind. Anybody been there before? Everybody raise both feet and hands, same time. Okay. Right? We've all been there. Why? Because we've given too much value to temporary things. rather than the love of Christ, which never fails. So then he jumps in and he continues. He says, listen, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, what do you do? I gave up childish ways. As you mature, this is why we say transformation is a continual, you just keep going. I know we don't, some people don't like that, but we constantly mature, we constantly grow. The person, I don't care how old you are, the person who is unwilling to go, I need to mature. If you automatically assume you have every right answer, I really just don't want to listen to you. Not because I don't want to mature and grow, but I want to know who I'm learning from. And I don't like to learn from people who aren't mature enough to recognize that we all need to be held accountable. We all need to learn. We all need to continually grow. And so they're struggling with this. He's like, listen, you're going to act a certain way as a kid, but as you mature and grow and you start to understand the love of Christ and what it's really done, you're going to start getting your priorities in line. If you've known the Lord for years and years and years, the more you know the Lord, the more you should get your priorities in line, the more you should find your confidence in him and, and your security in him, your hope in him. Right? We already know from last week, hope endures all things. Hope believes all things. And so he's like, you got to move beyond this. Even there, it tells us, listen, um, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Like, why don't they see in a mirror dimly? I don't get it. Because I like, I like clean windows and I like clean mirrors. Right? Like, I always know when my son has come, for some reason, he thinks he needs to take a shower and my bathroom sink. Because there's water all over the mirror, just splattered. Anybody else resonate with this? right? I'm like, oh my goodness. So I just tell him, go get paper towels. What am I doing? I'm like, you're cleaning the bathroom. By the way, did you know we have showers to use? But he sits, puts his head under there and he thinks he has to dry his hair like this. And it just splatters everywhere. He's for sale. And I go, man, what what are you doing? It's like, well, I like my mirror clean. So why does it say it's like it's someone who looks in a mirror dimly? It's because back then in ancient times, mirrors were made of what? Polished metal. You didn't have clarity in looking in a mirror. You could see some, but you didn't have full clarity. The issue that we have today is a lot of us were no different. The mirror that we're looking at, how we see Jesus it's like an ancient mirror that's it's, it's just metal that's been polished, but it's, it's not the same clarity at all. You're like, oh, there I am. And maybe you can see parts of your hair, maybe you, you're, but you're not looking at the color of your eyes in that. Right? You're not seeing as clearly as you need to because that's what they were related to. So he's writing to those. That's a contextualization of the passage. And he's telling them, hey, listen, for now, you're, you're looking in a mirror dimly because you're looking at these gifts and talents and you don't fully understand. But at the end, you're going to get it. And when you fully embrace the love of Christ, you're going to see the love of Jesus more clearly than ever before. And you're going to go, wow. But right now you're still in that battle and you're finding your confidence and your gifts and your talents and you're not living in the love of of the Lord and you're not living in the love of what Christ has done for you. And as a result, you're not doing all that God really wants of you. And that's why our great guys, our greatest desire isn't to have all the answers. Your greatest desire should be to sit and to rest in the presence of God. Somebody, you know, they were talking about, well, at the very end, when you can see more clearly in heaven and all these things, and you can dive into that. And I go, man, I know we talk about streets of gold and seeing loved ones and all these different things. Listen, all of that's nothing compared to the fact of this. Heaven is going to be so spectacular simply because we're going to be in the full presence of God. That's it. And some of us are struggling with this concept, living in the love of Christ. And whether you're a teacher, whether you're a businessman, whether you're an attorney or stay at home mom or dad or whatever you're doing for your life, know this, the love of Christ, the love of God is real. And you need to embrace that. And if you're always trying to find your confidence and your security and what you can do, you've missed the mark. That's what's gonna allow us to fully know him and to fully be known. That's verse 12. And then he says in verse 13. So there's a lot of translations here. One will say, now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is, some will say uh, faith, hope, and love. May these three abide or remain. Very similar words here. So it's, right? It actually, in this situation, sometimes that trans, the different translations can, can confuse. It actually gives you the significance of clarity of what this really means. It's like, wait, these, John 15, that's why the last two weeks we sang a song named Abide, to abide with him, to sit with him, to be in his presence. And these three remain. All these other things going away. And then at the very end, you're gonna see Jesus more clearly. The, the foggy mirror is going to be lifted and you're gonna go, oh, it's just about faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of those is the love of Christ. Remember, it's not love is love, God is love. That's, that's this passage. Like, oh. Love abides forever. The greatest pursuit of the Christian life are not miracles, knowledge, power, and gifts. It's faith, hope, and love. Doesn't mean the other things are wrong, but they should be pointing, the way you utilize those things, they should be pointing to the love of Christ. And it it makes us ask the question, do you spend more energy chasing knowledge Do you spend more energy chasing gifts, being the very best at something, than you do faith, hope, and love? This understanding is what brings a grounding. Another way to think about faith, hope, and love is that, and this is a great way to think about it, and talking to other pastors here, Pastor. Jim and I are hashing through this and looking at different things. Faith is the believing response to God's revelation. It's a simple way that he said it's so good. Faith is the believing response to God's revelation. Love is our sacrificial response to the cross and hope is our confident response to who God is. It's not shaped by our experiences. It's not shaped by relationships. It's shaped by the truth of the word of God and who Jesus Christ is. So I keep going to other passages so much in this message and, and last weeks and la- the week before that, I'll give you one. For, right now, 1 first, first Thessalonians 1, 3. Remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith, that's what you're being remembered for, your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They were remembered for that. That's what they were remembered for. It doesn't say, I'm remembering because you were the most talented cat around. Didn't say that. You could throw the ball harder than anybody else. It was amazing, it did great things. Again, those things aren't wrong, but they should be used for the furthering of the kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 5 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and of love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Galatians 5, 6, it'll pop up here for us. It's an amazing text. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through what? Only faith working through what? First Peter 1, 21 through 22. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your talent. Nope, it says having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly because that's what purifies your soul. That's why we're so excited to forgive. We're so excited to show mercy. We're so excited not to be right, but to be righteous, to demonstrate the holiness of God, to let people know that in, even in a world that has just turned upside down in so many regards, we have sure footing because of the power of the cross. And you go, oh, okay. I want to pray for you, and I want to pray a section of the scripture, uh, Revelation 21, 1 through 6. It's an amazing text. Because what this passage lets us be reminded of is no matter, friends, I know some of you are going through some really hard things. Some of you are, are excited for school tomorrow. Uh, I have kids, some of you are not. Some of you, man, you're, you're doing that. It says, love is patient, which means long suffering. And you're in the midst of a situation. You're, you feel like you're living in that long suffering. And you're just like, God, can the suffering go short? And it's hard. And some of you financially, it's just difficult. And I don't know if physically and everything else going on in your life But what you have to understand is this, is that the love of Christ endures forever. It never fails. It is eternal. And one of the greatest, because of that, one of the greatest blessings we have in life is to sit in the presence of God. I think Revelation 21 reminds us of that and what we will have either today or forever with him. So I want to pray this over you now. Would you, would you just pray with me? God, you tell us that there is a new heaven and a new earth. That the old passed away. And that there is a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out from heaven, from God. Prepared as a bride is adorned for her husband. And there will be a loud voice declaring, behold, the dwelling place of God is with you. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with us. You will be with your people. And you will come and you because of your love and what you have lavished upon us, what you have poured out for us through your son, Jesus Christ, you will come and you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The former things will pass away because the love of Christ endures forever. Love never fails. Love never ends because you are also declaring that you have made all things new. And we know that these words are trustworthy and true. And you will declare it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give the spring of living water, water of life. No payment is needed. God, thank you. May these friends of mine sit in your love. Maybe some of them are right now going, wait, the love of Christ is real. The love of Christ is is true and there is rest to be had. And they're just now recognizing that. Others, they just need need to know what it is to endure. And so give them that strength, give them that comfort, give them that peace, God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Ah, Lord, thank you. Prepare us to live with the love of Christ. Prepare us to proclaim your glory. Prepare us as you want to use us. God, I know you desire to use us, your children, as an example to others. May my friends rest with you. Amen.